All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Engage. Engage God in worship, and we looked at two aspects of that. We connect others around God's word. We serve the church, the world, or the community, and the world. All of these will go together, and again, the purpose of this is for the ministry teams of the church to file their ministries in one of these three categories. And you can be creative. There's no wrong or right way to do it, but you make sure that whatever we do here has a purpose. Rather than just having a ladies' tea, you could focus on evangelism. You could focus on the Bible. You could focus on how do we want to use this ladies' tea to reach the community, our church and and the world. Um, Men, you may want to have a, uh, and it's been a long time, I think never, (laughs) but if we wanted to have a basketball tournament out here, the uh, three-on-three type thing, uh, we could open that up to the community. How could we fit that in engaging God in worship? Maybe bring these men together and praise God, have a time of singing. That is purposeful ministry, and that's why Engage, Connect, Serve. It's on our website. You can check that out. All right. Today we're going to focus on engage others in evangelism. We engage God in worship. We give him our praise. And from that, we're propelled out into the world to engage others in evangelism. And and by the way, all of us are supposed to be evangelizing. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the Sunday school director and the Sunday school teachers. It's all of us. We're all supposed to be sharing the gospel with the lost. Okay, 2 Thessalonians, the background. Uh, Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, they were his co-workers. Paul primarily is the author here, but he does mention Simon and, or Silas and Timothy. Uh, it was written around 50 AD on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul had three missionary journeys. This was the second one, and he wrote this from Corinth. The place of writing was Corinth. And primarily, 2 Thessalonians deals with the day of the Lord. There were those that were saying that the day of the Lord had already happened, and you Christians missed the boat. So Paul wrote and said, no, uh, the day of the Lord has not come. And then if you go on and read... uh, the rest of 2 Timothy, you'll find out that the day of the Lord is still not here, and it's still not here to this day. So why, why do I give backgrounds? Well, because I, I give backgrounds so that it can set the context of the Scripture. In other words, you can't just take one text and just go into a sermon without giving a little context. So since we know that the day of the Lord has not come, And Paul's writing to encourage them. It is quite natural in in chapter 3 that Paul says, pray for successful evangelism. Pray for successful evangelism. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us. The word pray here, prosukamai, simply means to speak to God. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to have your master's degree in theology. It simply here is referring to 
speaking to God. And this, this can happen all the time and, and in the context of engaging others in evangelism. You get the idea from the Apostle Paul here, uh, particularly in the ancient church, it was, it was more groups, smaller groups. And so the Apostle Paul was asking them to pray for us, for the work of ministry. I had this thought all week when I was going through here. And I put it out there. What if we broke the church down into prayer teams? And what if one prayer team focused specifically on evangelism? What if that one prayer team, maybe three or four, who would dialogue once a week and, and pray specifically for evangelism right here in Columbia and pray for the members of our congregation, including themselves, Yolanda, prayer team, praying for evangelistic efforts. That's a, <clears throat> that's a different concept, at least from where, and, and I, <clears throat> some, sometimes I like listening <laughs> and I'm wondering what would happen. Paul said, pray for us. Obviously, the emphasis here is on the gospel. But let me ask us all a question this morning. When was the last time any of us prayed for everybody in our church to have evangelistic events or opportunities? I'll share a quote from Newt Larson later, but... Uh, Nothing can get done. <clears throat> Nothing can get done in this church. Nothing can get done in our lives without the element of prayer. And so prayer is vital. Uh, I know many of you pray for me weekly on my sermons, and I, I totally appreciate that. But what if, just a what if, the adult ministry team, I'll probably be getting with you sometime soon. But what if, we broke the church down into specific prayer groups, nothing major, just uh, a quick email back and forth during the week just to say, you know what, we're, we're praying for evangelism. I wonder what God would do. I wonder what God would do. Be interesting. I, don't, I think God impressed, me, impressed upon me this issue of because Paul says, simply, brothers, pray for us. Uh, secondly, the purpose or goal of that prayer, notice in verse 1, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Logos, which is obviously the word of the Lord, uh, word logos can refer to Christ, which actually Christ is the gospel, but Logos here is the message. So the Apostle Paul saying, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the way, pray for us that the word of the Lord, the message, may speed ahead and be honored. Now this is a very interesting, uh, this word speed ahead is uh, treko in the Greek language. And it means to become widely known at a fast rate. Treco, widely known at a fast rate. So the Apostle Paul 
there in Corinth writing, Brothers, please pray. Talk to God. Talk to God that the message of the gospel may speed out into the community and into the world so that it can change lives just like it did with you. That's what Paul's driving at. Uh, uh, many of us, I'm not going to get political here, but I am going to say this. Many of us, two years ago, we had the pandemic. It started in China, that's a fact. And then it spread, and it spread quickly. I remember when we first heard about this coronavirus was actually three months before the pandemic became widespread. They had mentioned this virus that had possibly escaped from that lab in China. And you know what? Within a matter of months, it had canvassed the entire world. Oh, wouldn't it be great if the gospel was like that? Wouldn't it be great if there was a pandemic of the gospel? What if we were spreading it and, and churches got out of their pews and really started praying for evangelism and getting into the communities? We don't need more transfer growth. That means waiting for people to come from other Baptist churches here. What we've got to do is get out there and share the gospel and have more evangelism events. And Paul says, look, I, I, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that this would become widely known rapidly. And I thought about that pandemic and how uh, a lot of different things. But not only that. But Paul says, may it speed ahead and be honored. Speed ahead quickly and be honored. This word honored means a high status. But also conveys the idea of having a good reputation. How we live our lives in the world reflects on the gospel. How we live our lives in the world when we're out and about reflects on the gospel message, particularly when we claim to be born-again believers. We all mess up. I get it. But that should be the exception, not the rule. We should live in a way, such a way that honors the gospel. And by the way, I brought this, this scripture in last week, and I'm going to bring it in here. See how fast that was and the magic of... Be wise in that way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. We've got to get back to full of grace. God's given us his grace. We should give it out. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Fact, not everybody's going to be open to the gospel message. And you may not always have the best encounters with the gospel and and I say this and I mean this from the bottom of my heart it's in my fiber of my being the best way to share the gospel is by telling people what Jesus did in your life and then get a few verses but of course the danger 
in doing that is that when you tell the person that you're a Christian, guess what? They're watching you. A long time ago, one story I heard where the guy said, I'm a believer, and he, the other Christian said, please don't tell anybody. So it does matter. Paul says it here. May it speed ahead and be honored. In other words, may it be elevated, a, a high status, in the sense of being honorable and known. And anyway, the world is watching us. The world's watching us, and I get it. Not everybody's going get, to get the gospel. But it doesn't mean we don't have the, the opportunities to share the gospel. We, we do that. That's what we do as believers. Now, along this lines of Paul saying, pray for us, along these lines of him saying, pray for successful evangelism, he also goes one step further here. This is the Apostle Paul. I don't think Paul was afraid of anything, actually. Um, but he says, I want to pray for protection. I'm going to talk about some stuff here that needs to be talked about. So here we go. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Delivered, aruomai, to rescue from danger, reading right from the Greek language, to rescue from danger with the implication that the danger in question is severe. And that word is aruomai. He uses adipos and paneros immediately following this word, which is wicked and evil, which means what should not be done. Again, I'm, I'm reading right from the Greek. What should not be done and immorality. What should not be done and immorality. So if we put these together, may God take us and keep us safe as we deal with a world that is becoming more and more immorally corrupt. Morally corrupt. This is the world in which we live. This sign says, keep abortion safe and legal. Fight Christian nationalism. There is a movement against the Christian church. And, well, I said I wasn't going to get political. I'm going to say one thing political. Abortion was never in the Constitution. What the Supreme Court did was kick the abortion issue back to the states where it belonged in the first place. And then all of this came out. Fight Christians. There's all kinds. I, I kept this nice. There are all kinds of signs and hate about abortion. Now, I'm going to say this. I believe abortion is wrong in every case. I think there's other ways to do this. But this is the world in which we live now. And guess what? It is worse than anything I could have ever imagined 15 years ago. That's how bad this thing's gotten. And Paul says, look, as we're out there, I want you to pray that God will deliver us from the dangers that we are going to encounter. This, I honestly, honestly, the wickedness and the evilness that is in our culture today, I know Brother Jim prayed for our nation. Our nation is in serious trouble. Some of you have already said this to me privately. 
we're in serious trouble. And my answer is, where is the church? We are letting them. And there's really no, no pushback. This is another issue that's come up. Protect trans rights. This is the world we live in. This is where we are. And the Apostle Paul dealt with specific issues, which I will not mention at this point. But the issue here is, this is the culture in which we live. So when we go out and we start sharing the gospel, I've actually been cussed at when I share the gospel. And the person knew I was a pastor and still cussed at me. I said, okay, sir, I get it. I'm not going to bother you with it anymore. It's out there. We got to start standing up and we got to start praying and we got to start recognizing that this is not going to go away. And I think what's happened is there's so much internal fights within the church, not ours, but the church at, at general. And guess what? It's over some of the stuff. Major denominations are now trying to deal with this, and battle lines are being drawn. And Paul says, look, when you're out there and it's getting worse, I worry about my grandkids. I worry about the culture in which they are going to have to deal with 20 years from now when I'm with the Lord. Hopefully, hopefully, the church will rise up. There will be an uprising of the church. And ultimately, every time the church has been persecuted, the church has grown like wildfire. So let's get out there. Share the gospel. Yes, we live in a horrible time. And then Paul closes here that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Newt Larson once told me, you can put the sermon you can put the gospel in every sermon. So I'm going to put the gospel here. The gospel is this. All you have to do, and this is not a formula, but this is the way I've always taught it, is one, recognize that you're a sinner and ask for forgiveness of those sins and simply invite Christ into your heart. And when you do that, and you mean it, all of your sins are forgiven. Because Paul says not all have faith. That should not surprise us. When we walk out here, out these doors, I'm going to pray this morning for your protection as you go out and as you live your lives. By the way, speaking of my friend, Newt Larson, he wrote of Pistis, which is not all have faith. He wrote this. Prayer remains essential to the life and work of all believers, not a ritual. I think we all get in the habit of praying the same thing all the time. Not as a ritual, but as an honest interaction of longing and trust with our Lord. This is key. We are foolish to assume that the work of God can be carried out without prayer. Anything that we want done in this church has to be bathed in prayer. So I think this, this idea of uh, prayer teams for specifically for evangelism pray for our worship on Sunday, a separate prayer team, pray for people who are sick and in, physically in trouble, uh, have like three or four, I'm just thinking outside the box here, three or four uh, 
Do you know Charles Spurgeon used to have 200 people under his church praying for him during the sermon? Something you could do is while I'm preaching, pray. You don't have to bow your head, just sit there and pray. God, help Pastor Mike, help people listening. Prayer is vital. Paul says here, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may spread quickly and that God would protect us from evil and perverse men. And, and Newt Larson's absolutely right. We are foolish to assume that the work can be carried forward without prayer. Pray for everything. And I'll try to get with the adult ministry team and kind of try to set this up or at least get it going in one direction, at least for evangelism. Not only pray for successful evangelism, and this is the this is key. Know that he watches over you and me. Clear contrast to those who lack faith in verse 2. I love this little simple verse. But the Lord is faithful. The definitive there is is. The Lord is faithful. This word faithful, pistos, means trustworthy. Um, I don't know. It's just this stuff, this stuff comes to me while I'm working my sermon. I jot down everything that comes into my mind and most of it, like, what are we having for dinner tonight? No. Uh, but Old Faithful, Yellowstone, I love this picture. The, the guy that took this picture said this is about the best picture he could ever take of Old Faithful. Let me give you some statistics on Old Faithful and then apply it to God in a metaphoric sense. It erupts every 35 to 135 minutes. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. I want you to think about this for your own life. It lasts one and a half to five minutes long. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. The height of the uh, water shooting out can go anywhere from 90 feet to 184 feet, sometimes shorter, sometimes higher. It expels, this is amazing. This, this was probably the most amazing part of this. It expels 3,700 <clears throat> to 8,400 gallons of water during that period. Amazing. But it always happens. You stay there. Sometime during that, it's going to happen. It's been going that way for years and years and years and years. It has not stopped. And sometimes God shows up early. And sometimes God shows up late. What we consider late. But he's always there. And he says God is faithful. Paul knew this within his heart. Forget about the prayer for a minute. He knew no matter what was going on in his life, no matter what was happening, God would show up. Maybe early, maybe later, but Paul knew God would show up and he said, He is faithful, that is, 
God is trustworthy. And I get it. Sometimes we say, God, hurry up. But can you think of a time in your life, and I'll challenge you, think of a time in your life that God did, was unfaithful to you. And again, my clock is not God's clock. <laughs> but you know what? God has always been faithful. Now let's turn the question. Have you always been faithful to God? Probably not. That's just it's so wonderful because you know it's going to happen. When it, when it goes off, you, you know, okay, we've got 35 minutes. We're going to sit here and watch. But by golly, it goes up. You may have to stand there and wait for the pictures. But I'm going to tell you, whatever's happened in your life, God is faithful. I want you to know that today. God is faithful. And he has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me. And he's going to do in his time. And he will do what he told you he would do. give you one Old Testament verse. I love that. I, I just love that. The rock, his work is perfect, for all of his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Beautiful verse. That comes from Deuteronomy 32.4. And now, now a verse from the New Testament. Look at his mountains. Boy, I want to get my tent. And of course, in those mountains, probably a, a rifle. <laughs> God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. You know, one of the themes throughout the Bible is the faithfulness of God. And sometimes we get in our lives, and I get it, I do it too. Sometimes we get in our lives and we go, God, where are you? Just like old faithful he will show up when the time is right. And I, I could give you a lot of stories, and I, I don't want to do that because we've got chicken. But God is faithful. But the Lord is faithful, and notice what he'll do. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So Paul says, Pray for us that we may be delivered from these evil and wicked men, knowing full well that God was going to do it anyway. And there may be times when you are attacked for your Christian faith. Just know this. God sees it. He knows it. He'll take care of it. He will establish you and guard you. This, this word establish, God will make us stronger and will enable us to continue the mission. God will establish you. It really does hurt sometimes, doesn't it? It really does. But it's through the pain that we get, begin to grow deeper with him. And we can see God's imprint on our lives. He will guard you. God promises to keep us close to him and watch over us at all times. Another, well, y'all are going to know this image as soon as I pull it up. Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There is never a time when there is not a soldier guarding the tomb. There's, there's pictures. If you go look at 
guy walking in the rain. There's, there's, there's a soldier going through the snow. There's never a time when that is left unguarded. There's never a time in your life when you are left unguarded. You're his child. He loves you. He cares for you. He saved you. He redeemed you. Of course, he's going to watch over you. Even when you think, wow, God, really? Usually when something bad happens, God has a purpose and plan for that. I'm going to tell you this. Nothing can touch you that God has not allowed. And there is some type of purpose for the bad stuff that happens in your life and mine. There is a purpose to it. We just have to trust him. That's what Paul says. I'm going to trust God. He will establish you and he'll protect you against the evil one. Lastly, our challenge. Our challenge. Pray for successful evangelism. I want you this week, just until I can give it with the adult ministry team, pray this week. Pray every day for like five minutes that God would give members of our church opportunities to share the gospel. Just pray. See what God does. Five minutes times, let's see, 50 here. I don't know what the math is on that. Tyler can probably figure it out pretty quick. But that's, that's a lot of minutes a day praying for evangelism. And we have confidence. Notice Paul talks about God's faithfulness. And we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will do the things we command. Dr. Michael Martin wrote a rather lengthy quote in his commentary. Paul's confidence in the perseverance of the church did not blind him to the flaws and needs. He was aware that some in the congregation were not living in a way consistent with the apostolic message. And that is true, because if you go down here, in the next verse, in verse 6, Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of the Lord, to keep away from every brother who is walking idle and not in accordance with the traditions that you have seen. His expression of confidence, however, was not hollow. It was praise directed to the church as a whole. And the church as a whole was uh, presenting in their faith, presenting in their faith a, and in its devotion to the apostles' gospel. Paul really had confidence in the church at Thessalonica. Even though in the midst of all of it, and by the way, we're not a perfect church. Y'all know that. I like his comment here. We, we do have our flaws. This church has its flaws, but <laughs> this church is also a loving church, a caring church, a giving church. And I do believe, I do believe everybody in this church cares whether somebody spends eternity separated from God or not. And the Apostle Paul says, I have confidence. And then in verse 5, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Katathino, Katathino, 
which means to influence a direction. May the Lord influence that you may follow in a certain direction. Hearts is the word cardia, the psychological life of the person, the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions. So what Paul's praying here is that the Lord would impress upon our lives the need to follow him. Two areas of direction that Paul is particularly concerned about. One is the love of God, uh, agape theos, which is the love of God. There's two ways to take this, objective or subjective. Objective means the love of God in the sense that God is love. Subjective, which is how I like to translate this, is the experience of God's love. It's one thing to know that God is love. But it's quite another thing to experience how much God loves you. And Paul says, may your cardia, may your heart know the love that God has for you. I'm going to tell you this. God loves you immensely. And my prayer this week for us as we follow him is that we may come to know that love, that experiential love that God has for us in our hearts so that we can explode and go out and tell the world, Jesus loves me and he loves you too and I'm going to share the gospel with you because I love you because I have experienced the love of God. This is awesome. A.T. Robinson, one of the scholars that I turn to time and time and time again. He, he wrote this. Either subjective or objective, the genitive makes sense. So in other words, it doesn't matter. Lightfoot's another theologian. Lightfoot pleads for both, not only objective attributes of deity, that means we know God is love, but also as a ruling principle in our hearts to experience the love that God has for you. And I want you to know this morning that God does love you. He sees every tear. He sees every hurt. He sees every joy. He sees every moment of your life. And he's in a love relationship with you. And of course, if God is in a love relationship with us, of course, it goes to the logical flow of that is, of course, he's going to protect you. You protect the things that you love, don't you? And God protects the things that he loves. And guess what? You are the apple of his eye. Steadfastness. The second area is steadfastness of Christ. I like this word. Hupomene. Hupomene. I like words that go hoop. Hupomene, to bear up under difficult circumstances. So the two areas, and you see why they're connected. If you are getting deeper in the love of God, of course that helps you to remain faithful and steadfast. Knowing that, look, I may be struggling towards the finish line, but I do know one thing. God loves me because I've experienced it in my heart. I can speak about this 
confidently because I did run a marathon one time. He's pointing to me up in the stands. He's saying, Pastor Mike, I got this. Tulsa, Oklahoma, I ran in a 25-mile marathon. And it was difficult. And I'm not going to lie, we practiced for months, and I wanted to quit at mile 10. But you keep going. I think we started with 50. We would call cadence. We finished well behind Frank Shorter, who I think won the race. We were well behind that. And I'm calling cadence somewhere in there, 14, 15 miles in, and I'm calling cadence, and I'm watching all of our guys start falling out. I think we finished with 10 of us. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, and I, I made up my mind at that point, I'm never doing that again. Um, when I crossed the finish line, there was somebody there that wrapped me up with a, it looked like a burrito or something. It wrapped me up, and they made me drink water. I had to shake things off. But that's what Paul's praying for. When things get tough that you endure, that you keep pressing forward, that you keep moving. And brothers and sisters, I know life gets tough. But if you've experienced the love of God, you're telling others about Jesus. Wow. There's mental tiredness and there's physical tiredness. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. So this week, I want to close here. <clears throat> 